Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Raul Peck is a Haitian filmmaker. He's actually the first Haitian filmmaker ever to have a feature film shown in the U.S. He had a kind of tough upbringing. When he was eight years old, he and his family fled Haiti for the Democratic Republic of the Congo. His father feared for his safety. The younger Peck bounced around schools all over the world growing up in places like Brooklyn, Kinshasa, and Berlin. In 2016, he directed a film called I Am Not Your Negro. It was a documentary about the American writer James Baldwin. It was nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars and was acclaimed by critics more or less universally. These days, Raoul Peck has a new documentary series on HBO. Exterminate All the Brutes is about genocide and colonialism, a scholarly look at American and European history and the bodies they have left in their wake. You can stream it now on HBO. When we talked in 2018, he just made a very different film from either of those, a biopic called The Young Karl Marx. As the title suggests, The Young Karl Marx focuses on the German philosopher in his mid-20s when he met Friedrich Engels. It documents their friendship, their hardships, their relationships. But it's more than just a movie about a man or two men. The young Karl Marx tells the origin story of one of the most consequential philosophies in history. Let's take a listen to a little bit of the film. This takes place in London after Marx, who's played by August Diehl, was exiled from Paris. In this scene, he's talking with a business owner. He runs a factory that employs child laborers. And, you know, it's Karl Marx. He's got something to say about that. You know very well that without child labor, we'd price ourselves out of the market. Meaning you would have paid a fair price to your workers' labor, right? But I don't set the prices, young man. The market does. Of course, yeah. If I stopped hiring children, others would, and I'd go bankrupt. That's what society does. No, sir. This is how the existing relations of production work, not society. Society is not you. And I don't know what you mean by relations of production. Or sounds Hebrew to me. Thank you, James. If labor costs more, there'd be no more profits. Therefore, no more economy. Therefore, no more society. Perhaps that's what you want, hmm? Hmm? <laughs> right. We're not speaking the same language. What you call profits, I call exploitation. Roel Peck, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. So a lot of this film is about sort of the creation of the, the creation of a theory and the path that led to a book. But it's also about a friendship and a romance. And I wonder how you came to not just the theoretical part of Marx's life, but the personal part of Marx's life, the, the story of him as a person? Uh, it, it was a long, um, 
a long story uh, with this project. First of all, it took 10 years to make. Uh, 10 years because uh, we had to find a way to write this story, which is indeed um, had to be a personal story. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, the project could not be to try to uh, explain all the uh the historical uh, failure and and murderous regime that have used uh, marx uh, thinking uh, to uh, as a justification of them uh, uh, murders uh, so uh, how do you tell a story for today's cinema and for a younger audience in order to understand this incredible Uh, uh, um, idea of changing the world uh, and that Marx, Engels and Jenny and Mary were young people of their century who were were fed up about the inequality of, of that time and the political repression of that time. So, um, so it took us time, you know, to uh, how do you tell uh, the story of the evolution of an idea? And so it, it The film tells the story of these multiple beginnings. Is that different from the job of a biopic generally? I mean, you, among other things, you made a really powerful movie about Patrice Lumumba, uh, or you made two powerful movies about Patrice Lumumba, but one of them was a, a scripted narrative feature. Um, Is it different to make a movie that ultimately is about a super, super important idea than it is to make a movie about, you know, uh, Brian, Brian Wilson making pet sounds or something like that? <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, we are attacking the most important thinker of modern history. You know, there is nothing beyond Marx. You know, after uh, the Industrial Revolution, you know, Marx's works was on the capitalistic society. And since Marx, there have been nothing as major as what he did. So, and Marx is a personality that comes once every 200 years. He was a, a contemporary of Darwin. Uh, by the way, they, they exchanged letters you know, Marx and Darwin. Uh, and Marx was so central that he could dare write to Abraham Lincoln you know, congratulating him for his new election, et cetera, et cetera. So tackling a film like this, you know, and there is a reason why there haven't been any film on Karl Marx in the Western world until now, you know, because it's uh, very sensitive. It's politically, uh, or at least it was politically dangerous. It was a taboo as well. But uh, we couldn't tell this story Uh, like this, because it's not the story of of uh, a few characters who are in love with each other, and and the story is about that love and the conflict in that love. No, uh, their private life is just part of the story, but it is not the story. So we had to come up with a way uh, to deconstruct the usual approach of biopic in order to create something totally different. What was the way that you came up with? Well, the the first uh, choice was to, as I did for for my previous film, um, I'm Not Your Negro, where I, I tried to go directly to Baldwin. I eliminated any talking heads. I eliminated any biographer. I eliminated any interpreter. 
uh, with marks that would have been even worse because there are so many misuse of his work in the history of the modern world. So I couldn't get into that uh, that field. I needed to go straight to to Marx and uh, his surroundings. So what we did in, in the writing of the screenplay was to rely uh, almost exclusively on the correspondence. And, and when you read those letters that, uh, you know, all these letters have been published, uh, you know, even his work when he was a 12-year-old uh, boy uh, um, in, uh, in school, and they are phenomenally human. You know, it's about their daily life. It's about uh, their relationship. It's about uh, jokes they've made about fellow uh, um, uh, journalists or fellow uh, uh, scientists. But still, it's, it's always about their engagement and about their ambition to, to change the world. So it's the best way to stay close to those characters you know, and make them human because that's the important part. I want to play another clip from young Karl Marx, which is the movie by my guest, Roe Pack. And um, it, the, the film is about Marx. It's also about Friedrich Engels, who was his partner in writing the Communist Manif in Manifesto. And Engels' father was a capitalist. He was a factory owner in, in Industrial Revolution England, although he was not English. Yeah, well, uh, uh, very wealthy. He had factories in Germany as well. And he had a factory in Manchester. And, you know, there is a, there is a scene where uh, Friedrich rebels against his father, um, albeit, you know, not too aggressively, in, you know, on the factory floor. And Engels walks out and he ends up walking into a pub that is full of Irish laborers, some of whom are the folks who were just fired from his father's factory in the, in the kerfuffle that had just happened. Please stop calling me a gentleman. I'm neither English nor a gentleman. <laughs> you don't say. I hate and despise gentlemen. They are swine who grow fat on the sweat of laborers. He's making fun of us. Mm. You know what I think, fellas? Huh. I think he came in here to have a good laugh at us. He's got nerves. I've come here to enlist your help. That's why I'm here. He wants to enlist us? What sort of a list would that be then? <laughs> I'm working on a book. And I need first-hand accounts. A book? <laughs> Is he writing a book? <laughs> About the condition of the working class in Manchester and Leeds. There's this series of scenes throughout the film of Marx and Engels talking about money, not on a grand economic scale, but on a personal scale. Yes. And I wonder why you, why you included those scenes where Marx basically says to Engels, I have to feed my kids, I'm broke. Well, because it's part of the reality, uh, of their reality. Uh, those young guys, don't forget, they are in their 20s at the time. Uh, Marx is a young married man, and he already has one uh, girl. And he's basically uh, living in poverty because whatever he's writing is not bringing much money. So it's, it's a constant problem, uh, almost on a daily basis. 
And um, and later in in his year in London, in exile in London, Marx, where when he started working on the Capitol, and he was very sick uh, most of the time and suffering from all sort of of uh, uh, sickness. Uh, he wrote, "Well, nobody ever wrote so much about money uh, while having so uh, less of it." You know that that's the story of his life. I was born and raised in California, and the idea of a violent overthrow of the government is pretty abstract to me. Mm -hmm. um, you lived until you were eight years old in Haiti. Yeah. When your uh, father and your family were forced to flee. Uh, because of the Duvalier regime, yeah. which was a, a historically brutal uh, regime. Yeah. What do you remember about having to leave Haiti? Well, th this was a very vivid time. I, I was young, but I, I remember every, every part of it, uh, especially because my father was arrested uh, very shortly after Duvalier came to uh, his presidency. And I always uh, kept a, a vivid uh, allergy to uh, any abuse of power and any injustice. Uh, and that's, you know, the same way after we left to go to Congo. My father had a contract with the UN to go to work in Congo. And, and I encounter another story of injustice. Uh, when I arrived, I, I was very young. M Lumumba had uh, were, was already killed, and Mobutu was the next uh, uh, dictator uh, in the bloc. We'll have even more of my conversation with Raoul Pack, including my idea for a wacky family-friendly TV show about Karl Marx, which... <laughs> I Look, I hereby cede the intellectual property rights to you, Mr. Peck. You can go ahead and, and uh, pitch that to TBS. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Fidelity Wealth Management. VP Dylan Sanders shares why it's important to understand clients' values. People quantify dreams differently. So it's essential to be able to sit with a client and listen and ask questions and just begin to understand what it is in their life that they want to pursue and help them create a roadmap to get there. To learn more, go to fidelity.com slash wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. I'm Yoe Shaw. I'm Kia Miakonatis. We're the hosts of the NPR podcast, Invisibilia. You can think of Invisibilia kind of like a sonic blacklight. When you switch us on... You'll hear surprising and intimate stories. Stories that help you notice things in your world that maybe you didn't see before. Listen to the Invisibilia podcast from NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is filmmaker Raul Peck. He directed the Academy Award-nominated documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, which was about the writer James Baldwin. He also directed the new Exterminate All the Brutes, which is a four-part docu-series about colonialism and genocide, which is streaming now on HBO. When Peck and I talked in 2018, he just directed a film called The Young Karl Marx, which, as you might have reasonably surmised, is a biopic about the German philosopher's young adulthood. 
Your father was not a political activist. He was an agronomist. Yes. Um, who taught, you know, farming techniques in a university in Haiti. Yes. Were you aware when you were a child that he and your family were in danger? Uh, not at all. And and that's the the aspect of dictatorship, and in particular the Duvalier dictatorship. It was not about, you know, being involved politically. You know, dictatorships are pretty much blind. It's about instilling terror, meaning, uh, you know, you, you it doesn't matter if there is a reason or not. Uh, you, you install a regime of terror where every citizen is afraid that something can happen to, to, to you. You're never safe. So that's the way to keep you in shock. So, um, no, I, I was not at all. And, and I started seeing it after the, the first arrestation uh, of my father. And uh, he was freed very rapidly before he could be sent to one of those death prisons. Uh, because the regime, there was still the military. They were not all uh, subjected to the to the president, and and uh, and some of those officers recognized him, so he he could uh, be freed uh, quite rapidly. Uh, and it happened a second time, and that's when he decided he had to leave. Uh, and and at the time, uh, the UN came to to Haiti. Uh, Haiti uh, was uh, one of the few black republic existing with with a very important middle class of people who you know who were doctors, engineers, and and teachers, and the UN came and offered four hundred contracts to to Haitian to go uh, uh, work in Congo because the Belgian had left the Congo. And so at that time, my father and, and many of his colleagues uh, just decided to leave because they didn't see a future for themselves in, in Haiti. And a lot of them went to Canada, to Quebec, and also to the United States and, and became teachers, professors, or, or doctors. For a while, when I was a teenager, um, my mom worked on this project in Haiti that was digitizing books from the... 17th and 18th centuries. And these books had been saved when Duvalier came to power by these Jesuit priests who essentially took libraries of these hundreds of year old books and like put them in boxes and buried them in their backyards and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, well, in fact, I, I, I probably, I was in that school. That was Le Petit Seminaire. That's the mm-hmm. one of the two Jesuit schools. And, and they had one of the most phenomenal uh, library. And that still exists today. It's a mad shape, but it still exists. Yeah. And these, these books, you know, they were things like, you know, uh, transaction le- ledgers of the Caribbean slave trade and things like this. Histories of histories of the slave rebellion in Haiti that were that was you know one of the only successful slave rebellions in the New World, and but like a lot of these books, it wasn't even about it wasn't even about political content. It was really just that this was a regime that was dedicated to destroying books, <laughs> just knowledge, just knowing yes. things, anything. Yes, and it, again, it's it's the typical uh, method of terror 
you know. And there, there was this joke of, of people of Tonton Macoute, uh, you know, uh, who were the, the militia of, of the president of Duvalier, who could, uh, you know, come to your house if you were suspected and they would inspect your, your, your uh, library, your, your bookshelves. And if they find, you know, a book like uh, uh, the 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 black and the um, uh, the the red and and the black, uh, you know, the Stendhal book, you know, you could be in trouble. Although that, of course, had nothing to do with communism. But again, that was a game that Duvalier knew very well to exploit with the Americans, because at the time, every American administration was just. Uh, hell bent scared against any communist movement. Anything read was suspect, even when it is a romantic book. When you've had financial success making art, are you, you able to feel good and proud about that? Uh, well, feel good and proud those are not really terms that i use in my life because it's uh, it doesn't help <laughs> uh, simply as that and and it you know uh, the thing we do uh, as artists is really uh, you you never can be satisfied you know uh i think it's almost the contrary i, I just look at myself and my work you know, and look back and say, oh, my God, I, I did survive. You know, it's, it's more, much more, you know, you, you, you don't know what's in front. You know, you just took the decisions to uh, eventually not to make compromise because that's a choice I had to make. Uh, when I started, uh, it was never to make money. Uh, of course, uh, I, I would be happy if I could live uh, from my art, which ultimately I did. But I, I paid a huge price for that, uh, you know, in order not to go do anything else, not to go teach uh, instead of making films, uh, you know, to have the discipline and to, to live with little money. Uh, and those are the choice um, I, I, I took very early in, in my life, especially because, again, uh, the first uh, ambition was to go back to Haiti, meaning put your life in danger. You know, so when you have that as a, as a goal, uh, you don't see life the same way. You don't, uh, you know, you don't accumulate. You don't think of having a big house. You don't think of having a car, because you know you might have to leave all that behind. So, uh, and I think I benefited from that discipline. Uh, to take risk in my life uh, as a filmmaker. Raul, I have a pitch for you before we go. Yeah, go ahead. You already made the film Young Karl Marx that's about the sort of the developing of uh, the theoretical basis and ideology of communism. Let's make a TV show called Young Karl Marx that's sort of like, <laughs> it's sort of like in the vein of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Uh -huh. Or a young Sherlock Holmes, well, you where would, he's like having uh, yeah. cool adventures. Like maybe he gets stuck <laughs> in like one of those uh, like carts that's in a mine, <laughs> or maybe he could travel the world on one of those train things where you pump the handle up and down to make it go. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, by the way, we wrote seven hours of of screenplay. You know, <laughs> on, on, 
you know, the, the, the f some of the draft we, we started in, in, in uh, uh, Mark's uh, uh, meeting Jenny in the street uh, in Trier. When they are 12, you know. The working uh, title role was Berlin yeah. Alexanderplatz too. Well, exactly. I, I would love to do that, you know. By the way, there, there is a book, uh, Love and Capital, um, uh, by a, uh, an American writer. And I think they are trying to make a miniseries out of it. So, no, they have, you know, I, I could make a 10-hour a, a, a a limited series with, with what we have because it's an incredible story. Maybe they could have a van and they could solve mysteries? Uh, well, that's still a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Roel Peck, I am so grateful to you for uh, taking this time to talk to me on Bullseye. Well, thank you for, for the invitation, yes. A tremendous honor. Thank you so much. I hope I'll talk Th to you again. Thank you. Yes, sure. Raoul Peck from 2018, his new docuseries, Exterminate All the Brutes, is streaming now on HBO. And if you haven't seen I Am Not Your Negro, his documentary about James Baldwin, it's absolutely incredible. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where I recently acquired a bench, thanks to the good people at Abel Auction Company. Uh, thanks for that bench. It's a good bench, paid a fair price. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks very much to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. They've got a new single out, by the way, so, you know, Google The Go Team. Get to jamming. You can also keep up with our show on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post our interviews in all of those places. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. <laughs>